Welcome to Dad Talk Today. The podcast for dads facing some of the toughest moments of their lives. We are here to walk with men through divorce, keep them connected to their kids, help them understand their rights, and work for change in family law courts. Moms, you are always welcome too. We are all about advocating for shared parenting and doing what is best for our kids. Let's get started. Here is your host, Eric Carroll. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dad Talk Today. I have a guest with me, Mr. Darren Robinson. Darren, what's going on, my man? What's going on, man? Nothing much. Just love loving this podcast. <laughs> hey, man. I sure do appreciate it. I got to connect with Darren yesterday. He's been really vocal. been getting a lot of attention about things that are going on. Darren, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and some of the things you were involved with. Uh, right now, we got the Word of Truth movement started, and that, that came out of the birth of this election. Uh, so I've never been a uh, person that looked into politics, just didn't believe in it. I didn't believe in Democrats. I didn't believe in republics, uh, Republicans and um, and nobody else that was in politics. But this election was a little bit different. And, uh, you know, it, it prompted me and my wife to start the Word of Truth movement to get out there and start speaking truth about a lot of the stuff that I had uh, experienced in my previous uh, two careers with the uh, Texas Juvenile Justice Department uh, system and uh, Child Protective Services uh, as an investigator in Dallas County. And uh, a lot of the stuff that I saw uh, going on within those systems and within, within that facility uh, prompted me to really get involved and start the Word of Truth movement and, get, and start paying a, a lot more attention to politics and how they're playing their games. Right. So, so when you get a call, you know, mostly what we've talked about here is like parental alienation, uh, shared yeah. parenting, fatherlessness. Yeah. You, you get kind of caught in that niche and there's so many other categories, you know, paternity yeah. fraud. Now CPS, we got to talk to Chad Perda. He's running for Dallas County Sheriff um, a couple of weeks ago when we was in Dallas and he was telling us right. about the nightmares of what's going on with CPS down there. And yeah. I had no idea what was going yeah. on. It's a different world, man. It really is. Um, you got a lot of different factors that play uh, into what makes up child protective services. Um, so one of the first things that, um, uh, that I recognize is a, a problem with CPS. Now I, you know, I love CPS. Uh, I love what they stand for. I love the fact that they go after abused and neglected children, but I also know that, uh, the system can be run better. So I love it when you get the opportunity to remove kids out of, you know, broken situations where they really are being abused, neglected and, and all that. But I also see, uh, the, the, the bad side of CPS as well. So, uh, you know, one of the things that I see, uh, that was a problem was the training, you know, you, all you have to have is a degree in whatever subject that you want to have it in, uh, in college. And then you go to an interview and they select you for the job. And then you go to a three month training. Uh, but that three month training, um, they talk about abuse and neglect. They give you a bunch of definitions. They give you scenarios of what it's like going through the house and they'll show you a lot of videos. That's very, of, of kids being abused and neglected and, uh, some, some really, really horrible pictures and videos. Um, and then they send you out in the field and you got a person that goes with you, but, uh, that's pretty much it. And so you will have a lot of people that, uh, will remove kids or that's, that's never really 
with CPS, you have to be the type of person that's willing to go dig, that's willing to go do research about trauma, about uh, families, about like really, really throw yourself into it. It's, it's, it's more of a, uh, a passion, a 24 hour type of job uh, that you're supposed to be doing. Uh, but when it's just another case to you and you're ready to get off work and go to happy hour and you don't do nothing else with it after that other than type on your cases, and uh, get ready for court and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you will make a lot of mistakes at this at this job, and you'll break up families that's not, that doesn't need to be broken up. That really just need help. Uh, supervisors to make decisions just because they don't want to get in trouble uh, with the state, and they'll just say remove the kids so we can cover our butts. Uh, a lot of stuff that just happens because you got a bunch of overworked people with uh, plenty of cases on their caseload. They got deadlines on them and that's getting threatened to get fired and all that kind of stuff. And if you have a kid on one of your cases that die, then you got Austin that comes down to Texas and everybody sits around and look at your case with a fine tooth comb. So it's a really, really stressful job tacked on with inexperience and it can make a really, really bad uh, place to be. You know, one of the things I was talking to you about and, you know, this happens from time to time. I was watching the trials of Gabriel Fernandez not long ago that came out on Netflix. It brought a lot of attention to what's going on in CPS, but that's just a very small tip of the iceberg. And I feel like a lot of times the media is the problem because they'll report on cases when something's going down, but this is a problem that's going on all the time. It needs to be talked about a lot more. Could you speak a little bit about that, Darren? Yeah. As far as, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, you have those those huge cases where you'll see kids locked in cars and uh, kids being abused or drowned or stuff like that. You'll have that on the media. But uh, behind the scenes, uh, you have so many cases where you're going into homes where uh, children are being beaten to death. Children are being thrown downstairs and, um, you know, just really going through stuff. But um you will get a lot of outcries from different parents and your parents will call in and say, Hey, my kid has been abused or they're lying. Oh, another thing is you'll get a lot of custody battle cases, you know, custody battle. People use the kids all the time. I was, you know, listen to your story, but and that happens all the time. People use kids in custody battles and, you know, you'll stop and you'll look at the kid, you know, you'll see the two parents fighting, but when you really put eyes on the kid, you'll see how much trauma is doing to the child. Uh, and the parents would be all about winning, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a win game. And so you'll, you'll miss a lot of abuse and neglect, or you'll get overloaded with cases where people are just using the kids uh, as a stunt and you'll have to go out on those cases and you have to investigate it in full uh, because, uh, because the, the report is made and it, it throws everything off. You know, I mean, there's kids that's out, actually out there being abused. And neglected but we'll have so much of those type of cases that you know we'll get overworked and overloaded and uh it really makes for a bad uh bad turnouts for cases you know just wrong decisions being made uh all kinds of stuff man you talk about a lack of training what are some of the instances or things that are going on that you think that lack of training is promoting um i think it's promoting trauma i mean it really is because <clears throat> you'll have kids that's abused and neglected or that may grow up in it. Like I, I, I was abused and neglected as a kid myself. I grew up uh, fatherless, five brothers, all of my brothers ended up going to prison. My mom used to abuse us and neglect us a lot. And so uh, we had real trauma growing up. 
And so um, when you don't understand the mindset of people, when you don't understand that people are born into trauma there, I've seen kids born addicted to drugs. When they come into the world, they are screaming, they are hollering, they are, they are triggering, they are uh, just, I mean, going through some of the worst pain you can imagine as a baby coming out of the womb. And then you go to a home where you got parents that are addicted to drugs and uh, just, I mean, and you grow up in that environment, you know, so you, you know, we call it in the social service world, we talk about this thing called ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it's a study that shows that when you grow up in environments like that through different abuses and neglects, your brain develops completely different than somebody else's. So you have to know how to handle that, that mindset. You have to know how to handle that brain. And, um, you know, with the lack of training, it's, you know, it, when you take a kid that's been through that and or a family that's been through that and you don't know how to work with them, you don't know how to talk to them, you don't know how to get them to be honest with you about what they really need or what they're going through. A lot of times parents will need stuff, but because they're scared of the way that CPS presents themselves when they walk into the door, like they big and bad and they come in there with all that authority and they scare you and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, of course, when you ask somebody, hey, do you have food at home? They're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we eat. We eat every day. Or uh, do you need a, a, a job? Oh, no, no, I got somebody working on it. They just want you out their life. But when you can go in there as a help and understand their situation, understand their mindset, understand where they are, understand what they grew up in, and instead of just asking standard questions, then you can get, you know, you can get the true heart of a person and you can judge the whole situation uh, with the right eye and with the right lens. And if you can't do that, you will make a mistake. You'll make your own assumptions and say, oh, uh, this family. So if I walk into a home, that's for example, if I go into a home and, um, I may see somebody with a bed and uh, uh, some food in the cabinet and, you know, uh, uh, a TV that's on a nightstand, you know, but there's no abuse and, and all that kind of stuff. They, the family may love each other. I can go in that and say, OK, this family needs help. This family need resources. They made it a job and I'll approach them like, hey, man, the state got, got money. We got resources. I'm here to do whatever you need me to help you with. Uh, if you need buses, I, I'll go and look and try to get your job applications or whatever I need to do. And I'll put that extra time in there. Somebody else that's inexperienced, never had a family, never really studied the mindset of going there and be like, oh, my God, they don't have anything. They don't have no furniture in the house. They don't they barely have food. They, um, you know, they look kind of dirty. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, you may get a investigator and a supervisor that'll say, OK, that kid need to come out the house and go into another relative's house, a relative's house until they get this straightened out. Well, now you just separated a kid for no reason. You know, you, you traumatize them. You traumatize their family. This kid is somewhere crying. The mom is stressed and depressed. Dad is uh, somewhere tripping out. All because you decided to move a kid from a home that didn't that shouldn't have been removed. You know, it's a lack of training. And a lot of people do it. You know, Darren, one thing that I believe that is hurting us inside of family courts. It's hurting our families. It's became a tactic. It's became a tool. It's hurting workers. You know, even the CPS guys that are trying to, you know, actually get things done, the judges, the lawyers, it's false accusations. It has became this tactic inside a family court to get that upper hand. And now yeah. false accusations are being used so much, you don't necessarily believe the person that's speaking. Have you seen that out there in the field? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, man, it's a lot of um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's twofold. Zach. So we'll get a lot of cases 
too, where a lot of, you know, sadly, teenagers will lie. I think the biggest problem is that there's a lack of understanding of how to um, uh, work within a blended family. You know, I, there's a there's so many blended families out there that people don't understand how to be step parents and they don't understand how to co-parent. And a lot of times when you get fatherless kids or mothers and all that kind of stuff that become parents themselves, um, you know, and to a person they're not married with or whatever the case is, then they'll become parents and they don't know how to do blended families and all that kind of stuff. So the only tactic that I think that a lot of people know and understand is to try to use CPS or try to use the family courts or try to get them involved in some type of way. Well, family courts are tired of it because they get so many cases as well. And they just go with the standard, put the baby with the mom and put them on child support and let them figure it out from there. You know, because they don't, I mean, cause you get so many stories, you get so many yeah. uh, uh, things that it's just, it's easier to just follow what's the pattern that's already been done. And that in itself is harmful as well, because a lot of times with just the culture that we in now, women end up getting the child, the child, you know. Yep. And uh, the reality of it is, man, we just don't look good as men for, for whatever this the society has uh, done. Ever now, I've seen men get custody of their children, but I've seen far more women get the custody of them uh, when it's just a neutral. When uh, there's they can't prove the father did nothing or can't prove the mother did anything, uh, mother's going to win. Oh, yeah. It, it happens all the time. You know, I'm mm -hmm. curious, you know, and being involved in something like this, I'm sure you guys get so many cases and you want to help them all. But it's just so much that's going on. Do you um, you know what about the the amount of cases that you guys are getting? I mean, do you need more workers? What's I'm just yeah. trying to figure out the lay of the land, my man. Well, the, what happens is you're dealing with abuse and neglect all the time. You're constantly every day, all day and night, really arguing with parents. So say I go out on three cases a day and, and this one was about physical abuse. This one was about uh, emotional abuse or, 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 or neglect. And I got to go to another school and talk to this child and he's been medically neglected. And you got to figure out what to do with all these cases. And you have to interview everybody in the home. So you may have two kids at one school, three kids at another school. And, you know, the father may live in Grand Prairie and the mom lives in uh, Mesquite. You know, and you have to drive around and have face to face visits with these people. And you got 50 something cases on your caseload. I mean, it's and, and you so you're dealing with that all day and you got all of them cases. And so. That pressure alone, because you have deadlines, you have 30 days to get a case done, 45 days to get at this, 50 days to get at that, and they, and, and they put pressure on you. They put pressure on you, so people just start typing up what they can type up real fast, going out and just getting cases done or getting done with the simple ones, the ones that we kind of know custody battles, uh, the kind of the ones that don't don't involve removals or having to go to court, ones that we know that somebody just lying. We'll hurry up and do that case um, and get it in, get it turned in, just so you can turn in something. And uh, it's so busy, it's so stressful, it, and you're looking at trauma all day, it affects you. You become traumatized, you become angry, you're arguing every day. So the supervisors, they have attitudes, the program directors have attitudes, everybody is just a really depressing, heavy, heavy environment. So a lot of people will come in with a good heart, like wanting to work with families and kids, but they'll go right out that door because of how hard it is. It's an extremely hard job. 
And then you'll have all those cases. And like I said, if someone dies on your case and it comes back that you didn't do a good investigation job, you know, it may be a kid that you think, OK, well, I can kind of see that they're arguing at the home, but I don't think it's not too serious. And you make a bad judgment and, and that kid end up getting killed. Well, now you go to prison. So, I mean, there's it's, 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 it's a heavy, heavy place to be. And there's way too many cases and they can't keep uh, people there because of what the job is. But when you hire a bunch of people that do not have a passion, a passion to go out there and that'd be willing to. I used to say I'd like three, three o'clock in the morning, man, trying to, you know, get, you know, save kids, you know, and I studied it. I learned it. I would study trauma. I went to a lot of the trainings, you know, and I I just I love the work. You know, I'm doing it now, you know, and I'm not there. So I just love the work. Um, but a lot of people, you can't get people that uh, that have it uh, that way. And, uh, you know, it, it it ran me out of there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, you know what? I'd rather go and help uh, do parenting classes or, you know, be on the help side of CPS rather than be on the punishment side of it because it's too, it's too stressful. It's too much paperwork. They want you in the office at a certain time and you can only go out in the field at a certain time. Uh, you can't, There's no freedom in it. And it, it, it'll, it'll run people that really love the job off. You know, one thing that you said that kind of bothers me a little bit is you was talking about the the amount of time that you guys got to solve these cases. You know, a lot of times we got these parents come in, the, some of the circumstances are different, but for the most part, they're the same. But when you go into something like this, none of those cases are going to be the same. There might be one that's so complex. I was hearing a case yesterday where this girl was getting raped by her dad. He's divorced the mom, went and had another family of like five. He was molesting all of them, got another divorce, had some more kids, was molesting all of them. And there was just so many layers. How can you put limitations on cases like that when you might have so many of these different layers that you got to get to? Right. And a lot of times, you know, they call them delinquent cases. And that's where uh, investigators start to get in trouble at because you will have like three, four, 10, 15 delinquent cases, which means that they over the deadline and they'll turn red on your computer. And those are the ones that the supervisor, they send out, they send out emails, they uh, pressure you, they write you up, they put you on these little um, plans where you got to stay in the office, they control your time after that. So now your your time is controlled. They say you got to stay in the office. You can't leave the office till one o'clock. Well, what if I want to get school visits out the way in the morning, then go out and, and go to the homes and then try to, you know, they complex. You, you don't know what to, you got so much to do on every case. And, uh, you know, then they put the limitations on this. It's, it's impossible to do your job. And you, you know, a lot of people get fired. A lot of people end up quitting. A lot of people end up uh, leaving because it's just it's there's no way you can do it. There's no way you can do it. Uh, by, by the way, you got I mean, you can do it, but it'll drive you crazy. <laughs> you know, you, you will be depressed and people would rather just go get a lighter job, an easier job that pay more money uh, than deal with that. And then you're just going to find people that are just there for the money. If you're somebody yeah. that cares and you want to see that case get taken care of, that's already going to play on your mind when you go home anyway. It's not right. something you can just shut off because you actually right. care. I understand that. I've, I've been in that boat, man, but now you're getting pressure from those supervisors on top of something that you've already got pressure about. It's enough right. to make somebody crack. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the uh, investigators stuff, they, they go to counseling, you know, you need counseling because you're seeing 
you're seeing trauma all the time, man. I mean, it's it's a hard place to uh place to be, especially if you got kids of your own. Uh, those sexual abuse cases, man. Um, geez, man, they're 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 horrible, man. A lot of the stuff that uh you know that that children go through uh, behind the scenes that people don't see, man, is is it's heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah, it's traumatizing. I think conversations like this are very important because you've been in there, you've been on the battleground, you know what goes on behind the scenes. Unfortunately, we don't have enough people like you, Darren, that are speaking up and allowing the public to know what's going on. Um, <laughs> well, and there you go. There, you know, there's yeah. consequences for stuff like that. But this is yeah. something we got to talk about. This is the this is the future of our our planet. You know, this is yeah. the, the youth, and we we've yeah. got to create a, a safe environment for them to come up in. What are some yeah. of the other things that you think the general public don't understand about what's going on there with CPS? Um, you know, um, there's a little bit on the, the darker side of it is that you know there's a lot of kids that come up missing uh, from CPS. You know that um, you know that either. I've seen kids get removed from home, especially teenagers, and um, they won't stay in foster care. A lot of them end up uh, either running away or getting, and I'd hate to laugh about it, or getting shipped off um, or sold uh, into sex trafficking. So that's one avenue. The kids, the teenagers, they don't, you know, you're removing them from the home. You can, you're not going to be able to really keep them a lot of time in foster care. They'll run away. And so they'll run away and get on the streets and get into crime and get into drugs and all that kind of stuff, trying to, uh, you know, deal with the trauma and um, and support themselves and all that kind of stuff. And they'll uh, start doing crimes on the street. And then, you know, if they don't get involved in sex trafficking, a lot of times, a lot of times they'll get um, and they'll go into the justice system. So you'll get a lot of teenagers that end up going uh, into juvenile justice system or the prison systems or the jail systems or even mental institutions. Um, you know, that, you know, after the initial contact of an investigation through CPS and, uh, you know, I, I left Child Protective Services and went and worked for Texas Juvenile Justice Department and the uh, juvenile prison facility. And I was over the 15 to 18 year old unit. I was a senior case manager. And um, a lot of those kids, man, I would talk to them and look in their case files and things like that. And they would have history uh, with Child Protective Services. They would have abuse and neglect history. Well, you'll take that mind, a kid that's born into abuse and neglectful situations, and you'll that kid then end up in the juvenile justice system. But then you take that mindset and lock it into a cage and lock it into uh, a cell. You can't take a dog that's been abused or neglected and lock it in a cage and think it's going to come out normal. So a lot of those children with those traumatized minds are being locked in these cages and things and they're being, uh, you know, they, and they lose it. You know, I've seen kids in there cut themselves and spray their blood all over their cells, uh, start licking their feces, start uh, banging their head on the wall till they bust open, start raping each other. They start trying to hang themselves. I mean, it was absolutely horrible. They start seeing demons and things in their cells and uh, then they would put them on medication and they would turn to a zombie. They would be diagnosed with something, ADHD, ADD, schizophrenia, bipolar, uh, diagnosed with something. They'll get on this medication, turn to a zombie. Then once they were off, they start to banging and stuff again. And, you know, you get sent to uh, security or you get strapped down to a bed or any something like that. And uh, 
that's pretty much the, the, you know, it starts, I've seen it start, I've seen it start at school, really. A lot of those kids that's in the alternative schools end up having a lot of cases at home with CPS or they start having criminal cases, you know, and so these kids that's a really that's going through abuse and neglect and trauma and divorces and things like that, you know, mentally it, it affects them. So uh, when I talk about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, there those are things like child abuse, uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, uh, neglect, uh, domestic violence, substance abuse, uh, mental illness, separation from loved ones. If you have that kind of stuff going on in your home as a child, your brain literally develops and grows differently than somebody else that may have love and uh, care and support and uh, nurturing yeah. home with both parents and things like that. Your brain develops differently. And uh, they stay in toxic stress a lot, survival mode, and it affects their health, but it also affects their brain. And so you have to know how to work with those kids and talk with those kids. You can't put them in a cage and think they're going to come out normal or put them on medication. You have to understand their trauma. You have to understand what they've been through. And so a lot of people just don't. But it also starts in the home. So when I left Texas Juvenile Justice Department after seeing that, I was like, oh, no, we got to get them before they get to CPS, before they get to the juvenile justice system, because it's highly unlikely that they will be sane once they get into this place. It's not a rehabilitative place. You know, you'll have some people that's um, sturdy enough and resilient enough to make it through it, but you'll have a lot that lose, that lose their minds. And, uh, you know, so I said that we need to get to the homes and start fixing these things of, you know, what's really going on with uh, the divorces? What's really going on with parenting? How do you work in a blended family? How do you come together as parents to say, okay, we have to do this the right way because it's not about us. It's about our child. You know, how are we going to make sure that the father and the mother stays involved and the father and mother continually uh, progress in their own traumas, in their own mindset, in their own thinking so that you can be the best examples uh, that the kids need to they need to have in their life. And they need mom and dad to do that, you know? And uh, there needs to be more education on how to work with a blended family. When you go into a blended family, you have to go into there as a male with a, with a CEO type mindset. You have to, you know, look at every kid personality, even the ones that's not yours and figure out what they need. You know, there may be one kid that father is in prison. There may be another kid that's in the home. His father is dead. You know, there may be another. So they have different personalities. They have different mindsets and you have to judge what are you dealing with as a parent and what do you need to be to make sure that all of that comes together. You have to be able to look at your own traumas and look at where your flaws are. You have to be able to study your wife's or your 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 your, your mate or whatever, your fiance and study her. What does she need? What is her traumas? And you have to be able to put all of that together to make sure that that family runs and functions together. And that's just not taught. It's not out there. Man, you have no idea how much I appreciate everything you just said because it's it's one hundred percent true. I think when we're going through these family law and custody battles, it's so easy to hate that person on the other side, especially if they've used your kid as a weapon and all of the little tricks that a lot of the narcissists do. But right. for the future and for for what's best, 
how can we make sure that parent gets involved as well after this? We don't want to just completely rip them away from the child because then they're going to go off and the recycles, this cycle is just going to keep repeating itself. We talk about the adverse childhood experiences. What are we doing to stop it? Just taking away the kid isn't enough because now they're going to a single parent household. If there's some type of way we can get that parent back involved and promote effective co-parenting, Take it back to what you're talking about with these kids. They grew up with all of this abuse. They grew up in situations that most of us can't even fathom. Okay. And now they're being put inside of a cage and they had nothing to do with those certain, you know, they they didn't choose that life. It's what they come up with. These are 12 year olds, 14 year olds, 16 year olds. You you can't take these kids and just put them in that type of environment. Now, now, uh, within the last couple of years, maybe three or four years, Texas Juvenile Justice Department have started switching up their model because this ACE stuff came out. Uh, so they started switching up their model to make it more uh, friendly, to make it more a nurturing environment. But uh, they can do a lot more. They can do a lot more. They're starting now to ask what happened. And again, I said I wasn't really a part of this political stuff, but my whole life has been working with traumatized families and kids. And I would always go and mentor. I would talk to families. I would talk to churches. I would talk to at at schools and I would do trainings and things to talk about this mindset. Uh, And I did it from the aspect of the hood because that's what I know. That's what I grew up in. So I always studied the mindset uh, that's predominantly in the hood, you know, and particularly with African-Americans. But I've seen trauma in every race, you know, but I think this time I've gotten more involved politically because I seen when, when you study, when you've come from that environment and you study that mindset, instantly I seen murder. The murder rates went up. And I seen like, it's kind of like being, uh, you know, just watching a group of people and all of a sudden they start dispersing and running and uh, something's going on. And you look behind, I'm like, what is triggering them? Why are they starting to do this shooting? When you see that, when you poke that mindset, murder and hate and rage and violence, is inevitable with that mindset because they already traumatized, you know? So a lot of times you'll see them just fight over colors or a street sign, or uh, they'll fight over just looking at somebody looking at them wrong. I mean, it's, it's, they, they just go, you know? And so when you see that mindset get scrambled, like it's been scrambled, I looked up and I was like, what is going on? And I seen the political realm. I seen what was going on in politics and I seen how, Uh, The Democrats was really playing on that and putting all this black stuff out there that, you know, that'll really trigger the mindset, Uh, you know. So I really started getting 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 in the political realm about this. But on the other side of that, I think that we have to we have it starts in the home. You know, it it starts with uh, parenting. There are so many kids that's traumatized uh, all over the world, but especially in the hood. They don't have fathers. They don't have stable homes. They were born into an environment where you walking outside and you can get shot and killed. I mean, it is highly it's a the hood is a is another world. It's a, it, they had their own set of laws and rules. So we know that killing is wrong. But in the hood, you don't let nobody disrespect you. You, you don't or you will look like a punk. You get bullied or you get killed. You know, so it is a real thing. You know, it's a traumatizing uh, environment to live in. I think somebody in Chicago was walking with her kid the other uh, yesterday or day before yesterday or nine-year-old they got shot and they weren't even the intended target so i mean it's just that mindset has been rattled has been startled and uh you know and if we don't and these kids are growing up in these environments without fathers but they're having sex and having kids at 
15, 16, 17. So now these same kids are now parents. They have no clue what to do. I'm going into their homes and they're like their teenage parents with a baby that a lot of times just is 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 not taken care of. It's neglected, you know, and they have no clue how to parent. And they'll we'll send them to parenting classes and all that stuff, but they don't take it serious. It's not nothing that they just want to do what they need to do to get CPS off the back. And it's a uh, I mean, it's it's a tragedy. We have to get the homes back together. It's, it's, it, we have to put fathers back in home and, you know, whatever the government is doing to uh, enable fathers not being home with the either with the, the CPS system or the uh, the child support system or uh, how, the, how the welfare system works. We have to get fathers back in the home. But there have to be fathers that know how to think like men that know how to be stable in your emotions, stable right. in your mindset, stable in your heart, stable in you know, the amount of love and, and affection that you can give. A lot of times they'll understand hate, rage, anger, and violence and all that stuff, but they don't know emotions like love, peace, joy. That hurt my feelings. You know, I don't want to fight you. I'm just voicing my opinion that uh, I don't like that. Could you please not do that again? Instead of like, nah, what's going on? I just fight. You know, it's, it's a totally different mindset and way of thinking. And it starts with being having to teach this in the house. You know, Darren, I, I have to you know, go back to what you said a second ago as well. You got involved in the political realm. Now, earlier this year, I didn't know, you know, I knew as much as everybody else did on politics, what you see on social media, what you see in the, the, the media, you know, which is nothing. You're not getting the clear picture. They're just getting you to do this right here. But I said, with what we're wanting to do, I don't want to just sit here and talk about this for the next 10 or 15 years. I want to start getting some solutions. So we started getting out more into the political arena, talking to the politicians, asking them what they're doing about fatherless homes, asking them, what are we doing? We've got a 55% divorce rate. Crazy enough, and this goes on both sides. Most of them aren't talking about it because they're told that's you, you got to stick to these core issues. And I look at them and I say, guys, this is the number one issue, the number, number one, one issue. All of these issues that you are talking about are affected by the families. This is the circle of life. This is the circle of life. And if you don't have healthy parenting, you're going to have riding in the streets. You're going to have people at each other's throats. You're going to have broken kids that don't know how to raise their families, that don't know how to have friends, that don't know how to function in society. Why are you not talking about families? And you mentioned something about and, you know, I usually don't take a political stance. You know, most people don't know my political views and I try to stay as neutral because if there is a Democrat that's listening to this and it, it is doing something for them. I'm that makes my heart you proud. Same thing with Republican, same thing with Libertarian. We've talked to all of them. But you mentioned something about your political views earlier and why you think the Democrats are kind of putting that at odds when it comes to the families. Yeah. Speak on that for me, my man. Well, um, they know for Trump just got in office. He just got there. We have been screaming for years. For years, the, the people, the, the black boat that they're trying to go go after now, we have been screaming since before I was born that, hey, the government is on our necks. We don't have adequate, adequate school care. We don't have access to funds. We don't have no financial education. Our schools are horrible and raggedy. They're stealing our babies and they're, the Planned Parenthood is, you know, marketing to our children in our neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, all kind of we said, hey, we need mental health, not prison. You know, hey, you're sending our our fathers to prison for 99 years over ma marijuana. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it was it was all it's all kind of pressure 
in the hood. It, it really do exist. And, you know, even the killings, that stuff has been happening. We've been screaming, hey, the police are killing us. You know, again, it don't it don't happen. But yeah. So, yeah, we've been screaming that Biden has been in office. The Democrats that's trying Pelosi them, they've been in office. They have never cared. That's why a lot of people in the hood, we don't vote. We don't care about politics. We don't care about Republican. None of that. We don't even know what goes on. We don't care about political science, history. None of that. You know, right. we we're looking at other stuff on TV. We ain't looking at no news because nobody was listening. It just kind of lulled us into a place of silence. All of a sudden, I'm looking at Trump. He's making policies, you know, first step act, school choice where we can go to different schools now. We don't have to go to the schools that's, that's, that's in the hood and that's not treating us fair. We don't have to. We got uh, the first step where over 90 percent of black people have benefited from this first step. act. Uh, we got the, the opportunity zones. We got, you know, we got so much that he has actually done to help the black community. But when I look at the Democrats, they're all they can do because they can't stop him. They're saying, oh, look at him. He's calling. He's calling you black. Oh, he's a racist. Oh, look at what he's doing. What are you guys doing? You're not doing anything. You're sitting here spending all this time complaining, telling us to look at how Trump is disrespecting black people. No, you guys have disrespected us my whole lifetime. It's just now that I'm starting to see, wait a minute, there's another fight going on. They're not even, they, they're, they're like telling on Trump. They're like, oh my God, look at this. He look at what he's doing. It's like they're, 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 they're scary. They're, 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 they're not bold or strong. They just depending on us to get mad at Trump for not or for saying this or for saying something racist or for uh, not supporting Black Lives Matter and all this kind of stuff. No, no, you're not promoting family. You're not promoting anything that we're, you're not talking about nothing about fatherlessness. You're not talking about uh, nothing that we care about. Nothing. You're talking about, uh, you know, all kind of other stuff. So. Uh, when I looked at that and I seen how they were stirring up the black people to try to get their votes and all this kind of stuff and get them on their side, like, no, leave us alone. Do something that really, really helps our trauma. Focus on mental health care. Focus on fatherlessness. Focus on poverty. Focus on uh, the school systems. Focus on prison reform. The things that a lot of things that Trump is doing. And uh, so I never cared about politics until now. And when I look at that kind of stuff, it's really um they're using a the black vote as a weapon but i mean it's really to me is a bunch of good versus evil evil so it's not a black and white issue to me i don't care what trump say racist i don't care uh you know how he feel he's a white man you know and they people gonna believe people are gonna believe what they believe you know and it's only time to tell what's true but um you know i'm you know trump is what he is but what policies has he put in place oh he's doing stuff to help us so uh, I don't care if you black, the first black woman or you had the first black president and all that kind of stuff. You didn't do nothing to help us. Nothing. So it's interesting that you say that. And again, I don't talk about this much, but I, I, I want to put my feelings out there. We went to Baltimore. I think it was about three weeks ago. Might have been a little bit longer. And I didn't realize how bad the city was. It looked like we went to a third world country. Um, we yes. were We were asked to speak at a uh, a little rally there and when we got there i was just my mind was blown the amount of homelessness and most of that was affected it was in the hood you know i saw uh, the buildings shut down the whole nine yards and come to find out that city had been ran by the democrats for like what 40 years yeah. uh, if not more and all those are 
<laughs> well, and I, I wasn't seeing what I was seeing on the media. Most of those guys, they were Republicans that were running for office, eight tenths of them were black, uh, black males that were running for office, Republican. And I was interviewing one that was running for Congress. And while I'm interviewing him, I started hearing no justice, no peace. And there was a crowd coming down. And he looked at me and he said, watch, here comes these white kids to tell me my life matters. And here comes Black Lives Matter. 80% of Black Lives Matter are white teenagers with rainbow colored hair. Yep. And I said, I said, what is going on here? This is not what I've seen on the media. This is this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll show the shots because we are mixed in there. I mean, you angry and you poke that bear. Uh, so a lot of us are mixed in there. But the movement itself, Black Lives Matter, you will see a lot of the uh, you know, the, 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 the but we not a part of that. The, that movement is not us. I don't care what they try to lie and say. That's not us, man. We I've, I've seen a photo where it was all white kids that, you know, look like, no, nah, that ain't us, man. Well, who is that? <laughs> what are y'all doing? I, I don't get it, brother. I really don't. You know, it's one of those things I want to talk about it more because on their sh this show, one of our very first mottos was dads matter. And I believe yeah. that we need dads in their children's lives. And in the African-American community, we're right at 80% of the single parent households are without a father right now, but I'm afraid to be able to speak on it because you never know what person's going to come at you for not being politically correct. We need to speak on it. Dads do matter. 80% yeah. what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, man, you know, I think if the male, um, you know, I think there's a big, feminization movement moving uh, uh come to, and i think that they're trying to play us against the women you know they try to play this uh this is a woman's world and they try to make it like men are trying to take over and we're in charge and all that kind of stuff and it might have been the case but for real men men that have uh values men that are, have standards and morals and character and is governed by god and governed by the jesus christ and the blood man we don't uh, try to, we run our family a completely different way. You know, we don't try right. to dominate our women. We don't try to rule over them, but we're going to lead our family. We're going to be strong. We're going to be sturdy. We're going to make sure our kids are okay. We're going to make sure they grow up with an education. We're going to make sure they do respect authority. We're going to make sure they do respect uh, the, 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 the leader that God puts over the land because God is in control of all that. And uh, I think that right there is a very powerful male because uh, that male will disrupt systems. And when you get too many of those together, we're too powerful. You know, we're too powerful. We'll have a voice. We'll have a force. We'll have men that's willing to go the whole uh, way to, uh, you know, promote fatherhood and promote, um, you know, what's right. But when you got an organization or a government that wants to keep people enslaved, you will say, hey, get that man out the home. And I'll give you uh, some welfare and you can just depend on me to take care of you. Well, now they just bought a slave. They just bought somebody that can, uh, you know, feel uh, that'll fill up those prison systems. That's for for profit. You know, they got somebody that'll fill up, you know, uh, you know, that'll that'll constantly always need medication, need drugs and things like that. You'll create what you need. You know, follow the money, you know, follow the money. You'll create what you need. And a lot of that is. Um, behind the scenes and in, in the government, you'll get a lot of those, uh, you know, the people that support whatever their uh, whatever their agenda is, whether to get medication out there, whether it's to get uh, bad food out there so you can continue to stay on the medication so you can uh, just whatever it is, they're going to create their clientele. And a lot of times that's uh, that happens when you get uh, responsible fathers out the home.
And, 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 and they'll put the women, and we're not against women, you know, and they'll put no, this divide in there. It's not, we're not against women. I need my wife. I love my wife. I couldn't do it without my wife. You know what I mean? I, I'm a little rough around the edges. My wife, she all sweet and kind, and we just, you know, she's from a different background, but I know if I didn't have my wife, uh, my other part of this, I, you know, the kids would be off somewhere. They would have too much of me or too much of her, you know, it, it's a balance. I'm right there with you, man. I got one of the greatest wife. I got four girls. I didn't even have a boy. So I want women. Yeah, I want these strong women in our lives. Unfortunately, you got most of us dads that are in this fight are painted as that deadbeat. Um, let me tell you something. The deadbeat dad that doesn't want anything to do with their kids. You're not going right. to find them in this group. They're not going to be the ones sitting here talking about wanting to see their kids, wanting to see the laws change. They are not going to be here. And no. But there are deadbeats, okay? And there's there's yeah. deadbeat mothers too, and it's not, that's not talked about. But they get the voice. I swear. Right now, Darren, if we had a low cut shirt and we were showing off our breasts and tattoos, we'd have five million views on this in the next couple of hours. Absolutely, absolutely. That's just the truth, man. But because we're men, they just don't listen to us as much, and that bothers me. Right. Well, they they, they think that uh, you know, and just because of the way society is, man, you you always think as the mother as just the nurturing parent, the more nurturing parent. And uh, it's sad that, you know, because fathers are, you know, over the years, man, fathers have gotten silent. You know, fathers have, just, I mean, it's almost that, you know, they've all, they've done a good job to silence the man. You know, the, the pressures and the, uh, the, the finances and, uh, you know, just what it takes to be a man has been, um, you know, really, uh, uh, it's, I mean, it's just been dumbed down. And so, You'll look at the man and be like, well, he don't deserve the kids. But at the same time, the mothers are just as <laughs> under just as much pressure. And I've gone into single mothers' homes with these kids, and they are highly depressed, highly stressed out, worried, don't know what they're doing. Kids end up getting taken, all kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So it's not uh, a mother is better than a father. It's, you know, what can I do to make sure that I'm being the best parent for this child? A lot of times we'll go through these selfish things as parents, and uh, it'll start to be about self. It about be well, I'm going to get my life together. Or I want to look this way or I want to, you know, I want to travel. I want to do this, that and other and, go, you know, send the kids off to babysitters and all that kind of stuff and not really be invested in what do I need to show them? What do I need to model uh, for them? Uh, and a lot of people don't know that. But because the courts don't have time to sit there and figure that out or even want to, you know, they don't they're not willing to put energy into that, you know, and, uh, you know, it's sad. And so a lot of fat fathers end up losing out on that end of the deal. Yeah, you know, because our society has that in their mind already that the mother is the most nurturing. You know, well, I believe moms play their part, right? Yeah, I mean, and dads is. play their part. I mean, we, we've yeah. got different styles of parenting, guys. But when you put them together, you got the best parenting model. When you the take best. them apart, you're getting uh, certain, you know, traits over here. You're getting certain traits over here. But if you put them together, guys, that's and, and yeah, you know, balance. we could have with. You know, if we could get the divorce rate down, that would be the best thing. Prevention is better than the cure. But if divorces do happen, it doesn't have to be a battlefield. These family law courts are what are making enemies out of two people that originally came together, said, I love you and made kids. Yeah. 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 You know? It's a lot of the, uh, you know, it is. I mean, the, the courts play a part in it. But then, too, I mean, parents have that option to say, I don't want the court involved. You know, it's just a lack of being able to communicate because a lot of times uh, 
we want something and there the negotiation table isn't, you know, is, is one that's not getting solved. And so people would just rather go to the courts and let them figure it out. And then once it gets there, they don't care. They're going to do whatever they need to do. Whether They don't care about creating enemies. They don't care about really, you know, what that divorce is going to do to the child. It's not their job to do that. Their job is to make a decision that parents couldn't make. But if parents are able to keep them out of it and make the decision themselves, then they would be ineffective. You know, they, they really don't even mean we could really, if, parent, if parents be parents and really just learn and uh, really co- cooperate and just get this stuff fixed in-house, you won't need those courts. That's right. Let's make yeah. it to where we don't need them. Right, right. That's because it. once they get there, they're going to do their job. And their job is black and white. That's right. You know, man, I know we, we kind of started off on CPS and kind of veered off in a different direction, but I enjoyed I this conversation so, so much. And I believe we're going to have many more conversations coming up in the future. Tell everybody a little bit about the Word of Truth movement, what you're planning yep. on doing with it and how it be- became where it is now. Well, the Word of Truth, man, I put out some videos on my Facebook page. And man, people just like what I said. And really, I just I was tired of hearing the bull crap on the news. Like I got tired of listening to CNN. I got tired of listening to just Fox. I got tired of all of the different opinions and said, I said that I'm going to speak the word of truth that I know. You know, I know trauma and I know hood. I know that life and I know when uh, the hood has been stirred up and I know Jesus Christ, the blood of my life. So I said, I'm going to start speaking about this stuff and start a word of truth movement. I'd already been training and speaking and couldn't. You know, you, you'll have these speeches and stuff um, at schools and uh, within the government and all that kind of stuff. You can't talk about Christ. Uh, but when you got that much trauma and that much things going on in families and in homes, I truly believe that you can talk about exercising and eating right and all that stuff. But these are a lot of soul issues. People have rejection issues, abandonment issues, um, uh, issues with anger and rage and envy and jealousy. You have to have the word of God. You have to have the Holy Spirit uh, to me to get rid of that stuff. Uh, it's, it's more than just, uh, you know, exercising or, or coming to a compromise in order to deal with yourself and your own trauma. You have to talk about the word of God. And you just couldn't do that uh, within those systems. And uh, that's, a, again, another reason why I love Trump. And he said, hey, they're trying to take your prayer out of schools and they're trying to lock you up in jail for not praying or for praying and all this kind of stuff. And when he put us a, a law and a standard up against that and allow me to pray in my home as my father, as, as a father and a husband and in and, and my school and over my kids' school and over there. I mean, I, I was I was all with it because to be that type of father, I don't I never had a father. I've never seen a successful marriage and all and all that. But I took on that. I took on a, a father role. I took on a, a, a husband role and never seen it, never had an example of it. And so it took God. It took me praying. It took me worshiping. It took me fasting and all that stuff to get to a point psychologically and mentally and emotionally where I knew how to be a father now and I know how to be a husband and I'll do all the exercising and all those steps that, that's outward, but you have to do the inner work, inner work too. So uh, this word of truth movement speaks that stuff right there. You know, it's going to just, it taps into what's going on in your outside world and what's going on in your inside world and uh, put things into common sense and playing language and just speaking truth to uh, what I believe is the truth. Absolutely. And that's what you should be doing. But somewhere out there, Darren, there is somebody that just saw you as a black man say that you support Trump and they just completely did not listen to anything else that you've got to say. What would you say to them right now? I would say there is people that cannot hear 
and there is people that cannot see, you know, and there's people that believe what they believe. If they believe that they that they want to buy, that's their choice. Believe it. Um, and I, I mean, there's it's not on me to say that, you know, you shouldn't believe that. I mean, I don't believe it, you know, and I and I really don't think you should believe it. But, hey, if that's what you believe, if you want their policies, if you want to argue, if you want that justice, that's for you. And there's people that's going to be by that and stand with that. And they're not going to understand or see my way. I have to be comfortable with that and still say that the people that can hear me, the people that are looking for what I'm talking about and the people that can understand my voice, uh, I'm going to talk and I'm going to be that light. Where you can hear me and, and whoever and is, is going to be a process from there on them. You have to be willing to lose friends. You have to be willing to lose family members. You have to be willing to be criticized. That comes with it, but I'm still going to stand for truth because I know what, uh, I know what it's like for my life to be, you know, um, to like these type of policies that he's putting in place. So believe what you're going to believe in the end, the truth <laughs> will prevail. So you can believe what you want all the way to the end. I believe what I want. I believe to the end. And somebody will be proven right. <laughs> so just like if you like Nikes and I like Adidas, I don't care if you wear your Adidas. You know what I mean, I don't care if you wear those shoes. Let's go out to lunch. Cool. You know, but some people got that anger and rage and stuff in them that they can't even talk to people that have a different opinion than them. So, hey, I don't know. I can't understand it either. So we 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 don't need to talk anyway. <laughs> you know, we well, ain't hey, getting over at each other. Same could have been said if you'd have been sitting here and you'd have been a Biden supporter. There would have been somebody that just completely tuned out. But that right. just because somebody disagrees, that's not a reason for the conversation to be lost, guys. That's more of a reason for the right. conversation to be found. And that's, that's why it. I get so upset about the media, Darren. When is the last time you've watched the news and you walked away from there feeling like the world is a better place and I want to go out there and be a better person? You don't. Yeah, you don't. They are you always don't. stirring that pot. And I said oh. that long ago. I believe these conversations are what can heal us as a nation. We've just got to tune out and start yeah. speaking up ourselves. Don't let them represent you. Let's become the media. Yeah, and let's get out the walls, man. I mean, let's get out there. I mean, all we need is a stage and a mic. Let's go talk. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's get it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I told my wife out there, this lion season, man. I'm I'm coming bold and courageous, and I just got a stage and a mic. Let's go. You know what I mean? Let's let's get out there and let's let's. They're fighting right now, man. Democrats, Republicans, they fighting each other right now. We they they really they really truly not even really focused on us. But this is the time for us to get out there and be heard while they clamoring for our votes, the Latino votes and the black votes. Hey, let's get it. Let's get it while they get this good, man. But you're going to have to vote the right way. To be, I mean, everybody that's supporting Trump, the one that's really that's, that's helping and that's, you know, got that to believe what we believe. Let's just go. Let's run. You know I mean? And let everybody else believe what they're going to believe. But I, I, I believe that we will prepare. I believe so. Uh, and, and every sign that you would see when you log on to your social media this morning or tune in, it will tell you it's not going to happen. Um, right. I, I'm not taking that for my kids. I want to leave this world for them in a better place than the way I found it. And uh, that's it. Hey, I tell people all the time, I said, man, we, we got we, we all got one thing in common. And I don't care if you black, white, Mexican, Indian, whatever. We all got one thing in common. And that's all. Every last one of us is going to pop die and pass away at some point. What we do between that time we come out that womb and the time when we die, that's all that matters. I'm not willing to spend it uh, depressed, stressed out, worried, angry, you know, soaking in my feelings about the abuse and neglect I suffered. I want to go make a difference. I want to go make a mark on this world. I want to go do something powerful and impactful. We all go leave. Why? What's the point of being like that all your life, just stressed out and depressed and then die? 
And then I, I want to have some fun with this thing, man. I hear that, man. Darren, tell everybody where they can keep up with you if they wanted to follow what you're doing. And I am on Facebook at Darren Robinson, just a name or the word of truth movement. I haven't really I wasn't a social media guy. So I got people now that's trying to set all that up for me. But we are on Facebook for the word of truth movement or just Darren Robson. You know, you'll, you'll find me on there. Hey, brother, I thank you so much for speaking out on the things that you spoke out on. I wish we had more people like you, um, but we I just got to keep these conversations going. Let's hey, do it again. Man. Let's do it again. Hey, Darren, thank you so much for reaching out to me, bud. Absolutely. We'll see you guys later on. Thank you for joining us tonight. We are fighting for the rights of parents worldwide. If you want to help support our podcast and for us to continue this mission, please join us at patreon.com slash dadtalktoday. You will find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, CloudHub, Parlor, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, the podcast app, Google, Apple Podcasts. We're a little bit of everywhere. And guys, every time you like and subscribe, you help us continue this mission. Thank you, and we will see you next time.